readings. Today's read of Water and the Spirit, Ritual, Magic, and Initiation in the Life of an African Shaman, written by Malidoma Some. Chapter 13, The Meeting at the Earth Shrine. The next day, Father came back from the farm a little earlier than usual. I could almost hear him thinking, caught up in a net of perplexities that no one could help him solve. He looked pitiful. I knew that he was trying his best to win my sympathy and forgiveness about my abduction, the pain of my homecoming, and the pending initiation. He paced back and forth like a man searching for something but unable to name what it was. He did not notice me. I was sitting outside the compound in the same place I had sat in when I arrived. After a while, I began to wonder whether his failure to notice me was because of the nature of the place I was sitting. Perhaps it was a place that swallowed whoever came near it into invisibility. Or perhaps it was just that a worried, crowded mind blurs the eyes. Father disappeared into the compound and I decided to go after him, just in case he wanted to talk to me about the meeting ahead. I did not see him, but there was a line of ash in front of his door and in front of mine. I began to understand that the meeting with the elders had great significance for him. Otherwise, he would not have performed this ritual. One spreads ash when something is threatening to go wrong and must be stopped before it gets out of hand. What was he afraid of? Father walked out of the medicine room where he had just finished doing something. He was still carrying some ash. He headed toward the shrine of the ancestors inside the goat's room. I followed him. He knelt and I imitated his gesture. The place smelled of goat and sheep dung. In front of us were two statues holding hands, the Dagara symbols of the ancestral masculine and feminine, so important to the maintenance of a home. Partially concealed behind a mud wall and resting on a mud platform, the statues could not clearly be seen. Father stretched out the hand in which he held the ash and spoke breathlessly. It is not bad news that I bring to your attention. A man of faith never leaves home without a word to you, the true keepers of this compound. I come to announce that we are going to meet the council of the elders and to ask that you be with us to inspire us to speak the truth. All I want is peace for this family and for everyone in it. May we arrive there in peace and come back home in peace. I bring this ash to you so you may use it to stop anything that might hinder this meeting from going well. Saying this, Father poured the ash all around the statues. Then we both stood and walked out of the room silently. to arrive at the meeting place, a little clearing outside of the house of the priest of the earth shrine. 
In the center of the clearing was a circle made by six stones, and in the middle of that was the statue of Dawera, the community lawmaker. Seen from a little distance, the statue looked like the same cross on which Jesus died, made of wood and from an unknown tree, but as you get closer, its appearance is terrible. The top side of it has the face of an elder in trance with his hands outstretched as if to placate something. On either side of the body pours water, while from his feet burst flames. It was not calming to look at this statue. When I saw it, I suddenly felt tense. The god Dawera can see without being seen and is a representative of supreme justice. He polices the tribe, always on the lookout for lawbreakers and warns those who think they can get away with minor violations such as theft or lies. When someone is suspected of lying, this is the symbol they are asked to swear on. Nobody wants to have to say anything in the presence of Tawera because he sees everyone down to the bottom of his or her soul. This, coupled with his striking resemblance to the Christian cross, made me dread the meeting. The elders began to arrive, one by one. First came the priest of the earth shrine, Kaire. The meeting place was just behind his compound, yet he was late. Kaire was so old that he walked with the support of two canes. He would put one cane in front of him, lean on it, and move his leg forward, then repeat the process for the other leg. He resembled a skeleton set in motion by a remote control. I felt the urge to help the old man, but I did not know how. I hesitated because I did not know what my father would think of me if I did, or whether this was customary or not. Anyway, did he want help? He seemed to be in no hurry to get to the meeting place. Every five or ten feet, he would stop for a period of time longer than the one it took him to walk that distance. Then he would resume his painful progress. As he came into speaking range, he noticed us. It's been a long time since I became a four-legged. I have forgotten how fast the two-legged move. You must have jumped over here. My older son saw you as you walked out of the bush and into the surface of my property. I thought I should let you come closer. Then you vanished, and here you are. Did you jump over? Yes, my father replied. People never say no to questions like this. It is not polite. No implies denial. No one wants to deny, but to make it possible for all things to be affirmative. What they do or say in the next sentence, however, gives the real answer to the question. So, Father added, We just walked at the same speed, there was nobody at the outskirts of the compound when we got here. He spoke these words in a soft tone, different from the one he normally used at home. There was no doubt that he felt the authority of the old man. The priest spoke again. Then, 
I do not wish you to live to be a four-legged. See, every morning when I wake up, it takes me a while before I can tell where I am. I always think I am in the country of the ghosts. My legs won't let me live here in this life and I can't go to my ancestors where I won't need them anymore. My father looked embarrassed as if he did not know how to talk to the chief. He growled, sputtered and tried to laugh, then realizing that he should not laugh, he turned the unfinished laughter into a clearing of throat and ventured. There should be someone to help you. Why do you have to do this alone? I will ask my daughter to come over if you need some help. The chief laughed, or rather, he emitted an elephant-like sound that I interpreted as laughter. I, too, was on the verge of exploding with laughter because of the comical way in which the old man was talking, but I could not laugh out of respect. He could not talk and walk at the same time, and he could not listen and walk at the same time. Your daughter will cost me three cows, two barrels of cowrie shells, seven sheep, and as many chickens as I have fingers left on my hands. I looked at his hands. He had six fingers on each one. The sixth finger was a useless protrusion the size of the small toe with an incomplete nail on it. Wasn't that what you gave as a dowry for his mother? He asked, pointing one of his sticks at me. Now, I don't think I can do that. So, I'll just use my own daughters until someone dares to want them. By that time, I should be ready to get rid of this damn body of mine. I can't use my wives because all four of them have lost their sight. Sounds like a conspiracy if you ask me. Why would four women decide to go blind all in the same year? Can you answer that? I know that Napo, my oldest, was having some problems seeing this side of reality. I did not worry about her because she was old enough to not care anymore. A woman who stops bearing children should turn her sight to other things anyway. But the three others, what business did they have to think that the affliction of their superior co-wife was in order that they too should get rid of their sight? You figure out this riddle for me? Isn't this a perfect example of blackmail? Now I can't ask them for anything. The chief was obviously in a good mood. Father, out of respect for old age, was too nervous to participate in the chief's bantering. He said, I was just trying to help. It looks as if you would get here quicker if you stopped speaking. This was true. The chief looked as if he planned to never stop talking, but he took my father's advice seriously and began to move again. Eventually, he made it to one of the larger granite stones and let his hands glide down the sticks and sat down. His appearance was unearthly. His spirit was so unlike his body that it felt as if two living entities were competing with each other. The level of detachment he had with his body was an unmistakable sign of the work of the spirit in a person who knows what ultimately lasts and what does not. Kaire had abandoned any notion of external aesthetics, but 
one could see beneath the surface of his wasted body a spirit far more beautiful than any representation of the divine. The experience of such a spirit made me disregard the ugliness of his body as something superfluous to the expression of beauty, integrity, honesty, and genuine life that glowed all around him. The priest of the earth shrine reminded me of grandfather and made me understand why the wise pay little attention to their bodies. In their world, dirt has no negative effect on life because they have no concept of its being evil. These earth people live like Mother Earth. Their cleanliness is in their spirits. I wondered if those who spend their lives obsessed with looking beautiful are not fighting to cover up something ugly deep within. Our shallow appreciation of outward beauty might be more a confused reaction to the memory of true beauty than an actual encounter with it. In that case, the beauty that exists on the outside of a person would serve only as a reminder to us of the real beauty of the spirit behind it. These elders had long ago understood this and chose to focus their energies where they really count on matters of the soul. All of this went through my mind as I watched the priest of the earth shrine sit. He put his sticks away, breathed contentedly, and saluted my father as if he had just met him. The other elders arrived quickly and silently. The sun was about to set, and they were all late. Presently, each of the six stones had a man on it. Each elder was assigned a stone to use until he died. Each time a stone was left empty by death, the chief of the earth shrine selected another man among the grandfathers and great-grandfathers of the community. The priest of the earth shrine is always succeeded at his death by the eldest of his sons from his first wife. So, this circle had existed since time immemorial. The once gray stones had been used for so long that they were polished and blackened with age. The chief declared the beginning of the meeting by clearing his throat loudly. We are here tonight to water our garden, but this is not like our regular watering, for that which grows in our garden needs far more water than we had believed. A few months ago, this grandson of ours found his way back to his roots, coming out of the wilderness where the white man lives, the one who hunts men. When the spirits have a plan for someone, he survives, even the unsurvivable. We know this boy is here for a reason. I have summoned you together so that we can find out if there is something we can do to help him get home. The last time we met, Bofing, 
our diviner and astrower said he could not tell us if this boy can pass through Baor and learn what he must learn. We want to see if there is a chance that he can. A short, stout elder, seated directly opposite the chief, began speaking, almost interrupting the chief. What are we doing here? Are we letting a wanderer who has become a stranger because he stayed away too long trouble the peace of our council? This is not the first time someone has come back from the wild. Why should we act as if his arrival were so special that we had to invite him to sit here? Why should we let this uninitiated kid come to this sacred place with a father who obviously has no knowledge of what makes an elder an elder? We are violating our principles today, compromising the sacredness of this circle. Our ancestors will judge us for doing this. Fionsu, the chief replied, we are talking about a drizzle, not about a tempest. When I sent Dogo, whom we all agreed should design the medicine to help this boy get through Baor to divine on this matter, the ancestors told us something that convinced me of the appropriateness of inviting this boy and his father to come here. You cannot ignore the fact that the dawn hides the coming day. Otherwise, you may be unprepared when the day comes. The destiny of this grandchild has been known since his birth. We want to make an offer to him, a risky offer, and we want to hear him say yes so the rest of our plans can proceed. Well, why didn't you tell us that in the first place? When we last met, it was clear to all of us that we were facing a delicate and dangerous situation. We have agreed that all must be done in the interest of the village, not that of any individual. If, even if, you had it all checked out, our responsibility requires exercise of the highest caution. I felt sorry for Fiansu. Obviously, he hated anything out of the ordinary and had little sympathy for anyone who did not fit into established categories. Dogo, who was seated next to him, spoke. When the chief asked me to consult with the spirits, I did not know what to expect. All I knew was that when Bofing performed his divination, he could not guarantee that his medicine was going to work during Bao because he could not locate the boy's C double. I was alarmed when I heard him say this. The sea is a person's spirit, the part of him or her that is connected to the ancestral world. A person who is suffering from serious psychological problems is said to have left his spirit somewhere. Living away from your double is like living with chaos, terror, and insecurity. Dogo continued, I don't know how someone can live without a sea. I suppose that this is what happens when someone is swallowed 
by a foreign way of life. Now, Bofeng is not a member of the Council of Power this season, so he will not be able to oversee the working of the medicine for this boy. But Guiso, who has worked with the boy ever since he arrived, knows him better than any one of us, and he thinks he can succeed. I consulted with the spirits for a yes or no answer, which I communicated to the chief. That is why he convened this meeting. Thank you, Dogo, for your useful clarification, Pianzo said. But the cloud in my head left me even before you explained matters to me. All I am saying is that someone should have told us this before. But somehow I still don't like the idea that we are making such a fuss about this boy. Last rainy season, one just like him came back from Ghana. The lad was fine. He brought back a lot of nice things with him too. Then he left. I hear you fine, Fiancu. Kaire said, but we all know that this return is different. This boy seems to have left himself behind, and he wants to stay. He wants to be one of us. For reasons I couldn't understand, Fiancu would not stop arguing. His sarcastic character was made worse perhaps because he was the youngest and the proudest of the council. I don't think someone who paints language on a paper should be trusted, he continued. This boy speaks too fast. He has no respect for anyone. He yells at his family. His father can testify to that. If we do not do something and soon, he may turn out to be some sand in our food. Something has to be done. Bofing came to my defense. He spoke as if he were trying to appeal to Fiancu's sense of compassion. I thought that this is what we came here this evening to do. We are talking about one of our sons. I remember Malidoma as a little boy, bright-eyed, cheerful, obedient. We all looked to him as one with a promising future. Bakai, his grandfather, who sat where you now sit in this council, told us everything about him that we needed to know, that he was a good boy with a good spirit who would help us preserve our ways. How can we throw him out when he has crawled across the world to return to our hearts? I didn't remember any elder looking at me as a child with a promising future, nor did I believe that my future held anything promising. From the direction that this meeting was taking, it seemed more likely that the opposite was true. Hadn't I made trouble that propelled me into this place? Didn't this man have to defend me? You're a sentimental fart, Fianzo says, scornfully prepared to stand his ground. I lost my sympathy for him. When that white priest left with Malidoma on his back, do you think 
that he did not know that he was creating a time bomb to come back and destroy our village, the juice of our lives. Water that has been spilled cannot be collected again. But what about the destiny assigned to the boy at birth? Kairi argued. He is the first male child of his parents and must be the one to become the priest of his family after his father dies. We all know that if he is not initiated, this will be the first time we have ever disobeyed the ancestors. This is a risk we have to take. We have to get Malidoma back with us or he is gone. intervention of the priest of the earth shrine seemed to slow Fianzu down a bit. He fell silent, a silence loud enough to indicate that he was hatching something. Then he said, Our knowledge is not the best. The white man's is better, and this boy knows it. Personally, I can't compete with the white man and I don't like the idea of trying to fight against something when I know I can't win. I have an idea. Let Malidoma go back where he came from. He is one of us, Fianso, the chief replied. Father, who had kept silent longer than he could bear, pleaded with the elders. He came back from the wilderness because he really cares about us. He doesn't want to leave his village like all these other children today, daydreaming their lives away about being modern, going to the cities. If we let them all go, if we let my son go, we'll die without a trace. Our civilization will end and we will be responsible. I still say, send him away, Fianzu insisted. There are things you can never make someone forget and we can't make him forget what he experienced. Bofing didn't like this. He continued on from where his argument had ended earlier. Send him away and you'll add to what he can never forget. What he experienced can be good for us. I can't see how, Fianzu said. If we want to know what he knows, we will have to ask him to teach us. If we do this, we give him too much power. Do you think it is good for a boy to teach his elders? I don't think so. Bofing disagreed. What alternatives do we have? If we don't want to know what he knows, that means we don't want him among us. This is terrible. What is terrible, said Fianzo, is when we allow him to infect everybody with his sickness. Fianzo, let me finish before you infect everyone with discord, said Kaire, who by now was unable to contain his irritation. 
when I consulted the ancestors about Malidoma this morning, I was advised that we have to open ourselves to this boy and welcome him back because throughout his exile, he's never forgotten us. The ancestors told me that when he lived in the village, he was always close to his grandfather, our Bakai, his real teacher. I also learned that he came back because his grandfather told him to. The ancestors said that he will be our mouth, and through him, the white man will become friends with us. Mm. Let us bring forward our wisdom and recognize what our duties are to him. We will offer him Baor now. I want to ask the father of this boy what he wants for his son. I liked the chief for saying what he said, and I felt he knew me better than I knew myself. But the question he asked my father seemed to take father by surprise. He jerked around and looked at me appealingly as if for guidance. Then he looked at the six elders. When he saw that we were waiting for him to speak, he cleared his throat and ventured, Thank you for offering me the honor of speaking. I feel like a child here. As a father, I know I should be clear about what I want for my son, but you know, I have not been with him very much since his grandfather left us. I want him to do whatever he can in order to be a part of the family and the community. But I do not know if this is what he wants. I don't know what to say in this situation. Fiansu took over. What are you trying to say, young man? He asked my father. I mean that what my son wants is what I want. I'll still wait to hear the men and you speak, Fiansu said, for you have not spoken yet. I have to be honest about what I think when it comes to my son. I don't know how to speak for him. Only he does. My answer came from my heart and my belly. Do you all hear that? Here is a man who doesn't know his role toward his own son. Are you the real father of this boy? Or are you his son? I began to hate the man because I saw his strategy. He had been humiliated by the chief and now he was trying to take it out on my father. I could not remain quiet. What my father wants is what I want. True, I held some grudges against father, but I could not stand by when he was attacked and not defend him. He wants me to be initiated. The chief wants me to be initiated. Everybody wants me to be initiated and I will be initiated. Whether it works for me or not, I have nothing to lose. If something happens to me and I can't make it, that's my business. I will do anything to belong to my community and to my family. Fiansu leaped off his stone seat as if something had bitten him. 
He grabbed his machete and raised it high. Who asked you to speak? He shouted. Since when do babies speak to their elders without being asked? Everybody began to talk at once. I sensed that they wanted to calm Fianzu down without making him look as if he were in the wrong. I knew I had done something improper, but I did not care. I did not feel sorry for what I said, even though I was uneasy that I had disturbed the sanctity of a council meeting. My anger at Fianzu had nothing to do with the council. To me, he was a person before being a councilman. Finally, the chief managed to make himself heard. Stop. Let's not give this boy the impression that this is the way our meetings go. I asked a question, and the response came to me. This is what we wanted to hear. You can't walk naked into the rain and expect to keep your body dry. This is the first time the council has met with individual persons. A change in tradition requires a change in the way things happen. I am not sorry for this boy's behavior. For a long time, this council has been ignoring the fact that a new day is forcing itself upon us. We are becoming outdated without knowing it. If the council is going to continue to exist in this community, we have to pay more attention to those who return from the wild. We cannot change the things that have happened to us. Our recent past is flooded with strangers coming from far away into our land and staying with us against our will. That's true. The man who spoke had not said a thing since he arrived. Another man ventured. I think the old days are giving birth to new sons. What I don't know is what will make them shine. Thank you, Dazier. Thank you, Signe, said Kaire. He indicated me that sitting among us is an expression of this new sun. He said he wants to get the chance to shine. I say we must let him and give him our blessing. He knows things that we don't know. Let him learn what we know. Who knows what will come out of him, fired as he will be in the kiln of two knowing paths. What do you say, all of you? I agree, said Dazier. I can think of at least one good thing that we will gain if the bad does not prevent it from happening. The people who taught him all he knows do not know a thing about us. We don't know about them either. Who is the white man? What is his medicine like? Who can actually answer these questions for us? I think that if we open the belly of this little boy, we will see a lot of things we needed to know about from the beginning. I don't like to live with something I don't know. 
nor do I want to throw it away because I don't understand it. We all believe that there is a reason why things come together. I say, let this boy be initiated. Everyone else agreed, but Fiancu said nothing. He was brooding over something. For a while, it felt as if the whole council were waiting on him, waiting for his word, as if everything depended on it. Finally, sensing this, he said, If that's what the council wants, who am I to say no? The chief thanked him, and everybody nodded. We could barely see each other by then. The night had quietly swallowed us. The meeting came to a close, and we began to disperse. Before leaving, Fiancu went to the chief and said, Next time, Kaire, would you avoid making a fool of me? I promise, it will not happen again. Thank you. My father and I came to say goodbye to the chief. As we approached him, I heard him murmur, Avoid making a fool of you, Fiancu. Not yet. Then he greeted my father and smiled at me. He had no teeth. That night, I tried in vain to sleep. Something major had happened to me. I had seen a council meeting, and I had seen how hard decisions were to make. I finally understood my father's hesitation when he had first mentioned Bao to me. A page of my life was being turned. I was going to be initiated as soon as harvest was over.